Well, hello, everyone, and I pray that you are doing well and that you take your Bible right now and say with me, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. As we are moving into the book of Revelation, I personally want to say it is one of my favorite books. It is so... It's so hopeful. It's so uplifting. It's so, oh, it just gives you what you need. And and uh, as I start, uh, may you just uh, hear me when I say that Revelation was written at a time when when the Christians were really struggling, when they were when they were being persecuted when they were really suffering and when they when they were living in the unknown what's tomorrow going to bring and i thought how relevant for us and how come revelation is the last book of the bible how come it's how come it's number 66 how come how come we we study it now I believe that um, this book was written so that we could too have the hope and we could have, um, after hearing the gospel, after hearing Jesus preach and teach and after hearing him tell the disciples and to anyone who listens that there's one of two choices. You can either accept me or you can reject me. And when you accept me, let me show you all what I have for you. And if you choose to reject me, then then you will you will pay the consequences. He is not he is not pulled the wool over our eyes. He's been very upfront. And after the whole teaching of the Bible, we come to the last book, and I think it's Jesus saying, I want those who believe in me. I want them to live in the hope that they know what's ahead, that they can hang on to something, that they can know that this is going to happen. And then maybe to the unbeliever, maybe to those who are playing church, playing religion, may it wake them up, may they see that this truly is real, and that judgment is coming that that it there is going to be an end to this earth and to this world as we know it so would you just come with me to this wonderful book and may you hear Jesus tell John and so for you who might be afraid maybe you will find hope and comfort and maybe you need a wake-up call for you, the believer. For, for, for me, I know personally, this is so exciting. This is a book that shows us that there is so much more to life than this. There is so much ahead for us to look forward to. I love the word cling. We cling to what we know. And when you know this, you will, you will be able to see from the way, 
way John writes this, that it is such an important book. And so this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So this is a book that that was written to reveal, to, to unveil Jesus. We have um, got to know him from the Gospels. We, we know him as the uh, Jesus in the manger and Jesus who walked this earth for 33 years. And we know him about the one who saved us from our sins on the cross and how he rose from the dead. And, and we celebrate that. But this book is to reveal to unveil who Jesus is as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you don't go into this book looking for Jesus or looking at Jesus, then you're going to miss the whole thing. It is a book about the the King of kings and Lord of lords, not the baby in the manger, not even the one on the cross, not even the, the, the God who rose from the dead, but we see him as the king and the Lord. And that's the way he wants us to cling and hold on to because we will see him as he is someday. And so don't be afraid of this book. Don't, don't get into thinking, oh, but we don't understand and we don't know. There's going to be many things that we don't understand. And there's many differences of opinions on this book. But I'm going to stick to the things that is clear, that is sure. And I think that's enough to give us the hope that we need. So, believer, be excited when we say this is the revelation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we must, and I hope you see that in verse 1, we must, we must see this because it must take place. It must. If we're going to experience all what Jesus promised we would, then we have got to know that all these things that transpire in this book must take place. So he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. Now, why do you think John puts that right away at the beginning? He wants you and I to know how credible this book is. He wants us to know that he saw with his own eyes. He heard things with his own ears. And I think as we have gone through the book of John, and we've kind of gotten to know him, and you got to love him. You know how much he loves Jesus, and you know how much he realized how much Jesus loves him. 
how Jesus asked John to take care of his mother. There had to have been something. There was such a relationship between Jesus and John. And so it's very credible. Jesus picked this message to go through his servant John. And John says, you can trust me. You can believe me. I saw it. I heard it. He said, who testifies, he's testifying. It's his story, and he's testifying to everything he saw, which is the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And then he says, blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy who reads the words and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. There is no other book in God's word that tells you, not that it isn't all important, but there's something about Revelation that shows us, that tells us that there will be an extra measure of blessing. Blessed are you if you don't run from it, if you don't fear from it, that you go into it wanting to see your Jesus, your Savior, your Christ, your Lord, your King. You want him unveiled to you. You want to see him in all of his glory and all of who he really is as the second person of the Trinity, the Godhead. So we are blessed. The Bible says we are blessed if we study it and blessed. Let's just go over that word a minute. Blessed. So often we use the word blessed when we think of, oh, I have my health right now. I have, the, I have a car. I have a home. I have a family. I'm so blessed. And, and in some respects, that's true. When the Bible talks about we will be blessed, it is a far greater definition than what earthly blessings can give us. When the Lord says he will bless us, I want you to know that that word blessing means that there is, there is something that is coming from the inner part of you. Nothing that the world can give. His blessings come from within. And so he says, you will know more peace. You will, you will be more confident. confident. You, will, you will have more joy. You will have more hope. Those are the blessings that he gives. And who in the world doesn't want more peace and joy and confidence and hope? Who doesn't want that? And John right away is telling you and I that if we study, if we are willing to study this book, we will develop, we will be blessed, we will be given more of this inner quality that only Jesus can give us. So in other words, he's saying, I'll make it worth your while. 
Sometimes that's my simple definition to what is a blessing from above. And is Jesus telling me, if you obey me, if you listen to me, I will make it so worth your while. And I think that goes so beyond what even words can say. So blessed are you if you are willing to come along and study and learn and hear and take to heart what this book is going to say to you. Because the time is near. The time is near. Now, near to what? Well, when we see Jesus again, when he comes the second time, time is near. Well, how near is it? We don't know. None of us knows the day or the time. The only thing we do know for sure is every day, it's a day closer. And so we are to, to look at this as near means nearer than it was yesterday, nearer than what it is right now. He's coming. It, it, it just kind of sparks you to say, sit up and take notice. This is going to happen. And look forward to it. Anticipate it. Be excited about it. You and I are going to experience something that the world can't give us, that only Jesus, through the blaze blood on the cross, could give us this kind of promise that our future, our future will be with him in perfection, in glory, in majesty. I don't think I'm being melodramatic here. I am just telling you that we have got to look beyond our now and see what's ahead. And he already, right at the beginning, says, and you will be blessed if you will read it and study it and take it to heart. Because none of us knows the day or the hour, but it is nearer than it was before. So, do you realize that the more confident you are about your future, the more you can handle your today? Let me say that again. The more sure, the more confident you are about what's ahead, what you know Jesus promised you, the more confident you are about your future, the more it will help you with your now, with your today. So then we move on, and there's a greeting. There's a greeting, and it's John saying that this letter is going to be going to the seven churches in the province of Asia. So right away we know that this letter was written to people, specific people, from seven churches in that one area, in the area of Asia, in the province of Asia. Well, think about that. Who is this book written for? Oh, not us then. It was written for them then in that one area. No, no. Seven churches. Seven we know to be the complete, the perfect number. 
So in Revelation, you whenever you see the word seven, know there is a meaning behind that seven. Even though next week when we go through the seven literal churches, keep in mind that he's speaking to, yes, then to specific churches, but who is the church anyway? Who is the church? It's We've learned, we've so learned lately that the church is not a building. A church is the body of Christ. It's believers who, who, who all have one thing in common, and that is their Savior. The church is the ones who have chosen to follow Christ. And so to me, this is very clear when, when John says, I'm, I've been given this letter to give to the seven churches. It is so much for us to see. It is written for you and for me. It's for the believer. It's for those who, who um, want, want to be able to picture in their minds what's ahead, to give them a little glimpse of something to hang on to. When sometimes the world can look hopeless. And it's also a warning. It's a wake-up call. It's a reminder that to you and to me, Judgment is coming. He told us, and that's why, again, it's the last book of the Bible because he's assuming that we have read all the other 65 and we have watched the Old Testament that was prophesying a Savior turn into a New Testament, which is all about our Savior. And Jesus was so black and white about what, his, what the terms are for salvation he made it very understandable that you believe me, then this will happen. And if you don't believe me, this will happen. He's been very explicit. So whether you're sitting in a church church, if you are calling yourself a Christian, this book is really going to say to you, are you real or have you been plain? If you are real, then look forward to what's happening. And if you aren't, may this be a wake-up call for you. And maybe you think you're playing on both sides of the fence. You don't want to be too over-religious, and you don't want to be too over-the-top. And so you've been trying to have a foot in both worlds here. And he's saying it doesn't work that way. So oh, when you study next week the seven churches, may you take a look and see who, what, maybe what church you belong to. Because every one of us belongs to one or two or more of these churches. And he's either saying to you and me, hang on tight, you're doing great, keep going. Or he's saying, you better listen up. You better repent. You better get things right. It isn't, it isn't a book to scare. Jesus doesn't want to 
scare us. He just wants us to go into this with eyes open, ready to, to be challenged, to make sure our heart is clear and open. He wants us to make sure that we understand that, that he's serious. So just so that you and I know that when he says to the seven churches in the province of Asia, you don't think, well, it's not for me, because it is. You are the church. I am the church. And this book is for us. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Two wonderful words that are only possible if you know Jesus Oh, the world thinks they know what grace means. They think they know what peace means. But real grace, undeserved favor, putting self aside, giving what someone doesn't deserve. Real grace can only be manifested by God's Spirit. Because in our own human nature, we are not giving people. We're pretty self-consumed people. And when, when you hear that word grace, when you are giving out grace, when you are being gracious, that's the Holy Spirit working in you and me when we can put ourselves aside. Grace and Peace, peace, such a beautiful word. And Jesus said in John, peace I give with you. It's peace I give to you. Not the kind of peace the world gives. His is distinct. His is real. His is, even when you're in the, in the middle of a crisis, when you're in the middle of the unknown, when you're in the middle of disappointment, you can know that you have a God who's up to something. And you can, you can hear why Paul would say, don't worry, pray instead. Bring it to the one who will then give you peace that transcends all man's understanding. And that peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Our heart and our mind needs to be guarded. They need to be guarded because our human nature wants to take over so much. And so when you see grace and peace to you, and these two beautiful, beautiful things can be yours and mine, and they come from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Wow, that's a paragraph. So grace and peace can be yours, and it comes to you from the Trinity. Really, in this paragraph, you are being greeted and you're being reminded that this can be yours because of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
the seven spirits, the seven spirits is the Holy Spirit, the one, the complete, the perfect spirit, the one Jesus said was coming when he left this earth, and the one who did come, the one who is left behind, the third person of the Godhead who has been left behind to live in you and live in me and be a part of our lives. And Jesus, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, firstborn from the dead, just a reminder that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead because he's the one that rose the first time to never have to die again. Anyone else who came to life through a miracle had to die again. Jesus, when he arose, he never had to die again. And that is exactly what's going to happen to you and me when we rise again, we will never die again. Isn't that something? And he is the ruler of the kings of this earth. To me, I just can feel myself settle in when I hear that. When you look at the world and the conditions of the world and some of the rulers of the world and, and it just all seems a little much. And you, you read a verse like that and, and we have a Savior who is King of Kings and that means he is the ruler of every king on this earth. To him, to him who loves us, who loved us, and who loves us. King James said loved, L-O-V-E-D, and, and other versions say loves. And, and no matter what, which way you look at it, he did love us. And he still loves us. How? Well, he went once to the cross. He paid it all. And when we go back to that cross, as we have just been through, and you go back and you remember what happened there, you are reminded of the love that he had for us while we were yet sinners, and we didn't even realize we needed him. He loved us. And he loves us now because he has given us everything we need to continue in him, walk in him, remain in him, abide in him. And he and us have this relationship. He's given us his spirit, his word. He's given us everything we need so that we can stay tight with him. And, and John, he just, I think he just wants to remind us. He says, to him who loves us and has freed us, he's freed us from our sins. He's the only one that could have done that. He's the only one that did do it. And he freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and Father. So his purpose, once he saved us, once, once we have said yes to his, his sacrifice and his grace, when we've said yes to who Jesus is in our life, 
he then makes us to be a part of his kingdom, to be a part of his family, to serve. So we have work to do to be able to serve him. And I found a verse in Ephesians chapter 4 in verses 11 to 13. And it says, we, we are God's people. We who are part of his kingdom, we who are one of his family, that we've been prepared. We've been prepared, each and every one of us, individually for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. I like that. When we get saved, when we, when we come to him and we're just this helpless, we finally realize how much we can't save ourselves and we come to him and we know he's the only one that can. Then he then says, I have gonna, I'm going to open your heart and your eyes and your ears and you're going to be able to see and hear and develop into someone you never thought you could be able to be. So how do we do that? We serve. We, we, we serve by, by getting into his word. We serve by actions. We serve so that we can know him better, so that we can go out there and make sure that others know that we, ha we have been created with a purpose in mind and his whole goal was to save us, to buy us back, to redeem us. But then it is more than that. He says, now I want you to go out there and serve because I don't want you to stay baby. Service will help you mature. It will help unify the body of Christ. It will keep building that kingdom up. So John is saying, we have work to do. To him who loves us, yes, he loves us by saving us, but then he says, I, I want you to go out there. You've got work to do. To serve God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. You're going to see that word amen a lot. So be it. May it be so. Our God has power and glory, and there is no question. So be it. He's the one and only God. And then, and then these words, look, look. You gotta choose, you gotta look, look. Take notice. He is coming, he's coming with the clouds. And every eye. I hope you read this and read this and read this, and you will see how these all inclusive, these all all coming encompassing words, like every Look, he is, he is coming. There's no question about it. He is coming. He's going to come in the clouds and every eye will see him. Every eye. 
even those who pierced him, even those who pierced him, and, and after just uh, commemorating Good Friday and seeing and, and almost hearing those nails being pounded into his hands and feet, you watched and you heard the hatred of the people shouting, crucify him. And he's saying, even those, even those people who have pierced him, what about you and me? Have you pierced him? Have I pierced him? Maybe not literally like they did, but have we pierced his heart with our sin, with our disobedience? Who, who we would think, how would he possibly ever do this for us? How could he possibly forgive us after what we've done to him? And John is making sure he's saying, look, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming in the clouds. Every I will see him, even those who pierced him. Even those who rejected him. Every eye will see him. And all the people, all, there's another one of those words, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. All the peoples. Maybe you're thinking, hey, I thought, I thought there was not going to be any mourning, no more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow. I thought we're not going to have that. Oh, that's coming. That's coming. Revelation 21, but, but right now, when Jesus comes back again, all eyes will see him, and all people are going to mourn. Oh, but why, why will they mourn? Why will you mourn? Why will I mourn? I think when we see Jesus, I, th I think there's going to be two reasons people mourn. Those who've rejected him are going to say, why didn't I listen? Why didn't I believe? Why didn't I ask more questions when I looked around and saw this creation and I couldn't help but wonder, how did it come into being? How come I didn't ask about it? That is understandable. You and I can see why, why they will mourn. There's going to be so much mourning saying, why didn't I? But then I think for people like you and me, maybe who have, who have loved Jesus and have served him, and oh, we were far from perfect, and there's going to be mourning because when we see our Savior, we're going to say and we're going to mourn, why, why did I continue to do this when he, I knew he didn't want me to? Why didn't I tell the story to that person? Maybe because I was embarrassed or I was afraid of what they'd think of me. Or why didn't, why, why didn't I want to play both sides of the fence? Because I was so consumed with me and what people thought. I think when we're confronted with Jesus face to face, we are going to mourn because we are all going to have regrets. Well, 
That's a good thing, I think, right here, right? Right at this point, it's a good thing that we're then in the realization of who he is. Because every eye is going to see him. And he ends this little spot by saying, so shall it be. Amen. So if you're thinking, um, oh, maybe, maybe it's not quite, maybe Linnell's a little just over the top with us here, you know. Uh, um, he says, no, um, this will be, this certainly is going to be. When we see him and every eye will, we will mourn because of who he is and because of what we did or what we didn't do. And then you hear Jesus say these words, I am. Oh, that's good, isn't it? I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning. I always was. And I am the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. There never was a time I wasn't, and there never will be a time I'm not. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty. Not just mighty, the Almighty. There is no one mightier. Sovereign. And when we stop and we take this slow and we hear his word saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the one who was, who is, and who is to come. I am the Almighty. Boy, that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? And it kind of makes us feel a little ashamed when we worry. And we think all looks hopeless when you hear Jesus say these words. He's got his hand in everything. That's what almighty means. He's got his hand in it all. And then John says, I, John, your brother, your brother. You see, we're, we're family. I, John, your brother and companion. We're in this together. We Christians, we church, we body of Christ. And we are in this together. We are a family and, and we're suffering together in this kingdom and patient endurance as we wait that are ours in Jesus so he's kind of now back. Revelation 1 is kind of like an introduction to the book, um, what it's going to be about, who's going to be telling the story, and you're going to hear the inserts of Jesus' own words. And, and then John, he says, but I want you to know, again, I am, I am John. The one that many of you just studied for the past weeks and weeks. 
we are, we're, we're family in this, and, and we're companions. We're going through it together, and life is hard, and we're just patiently waiting and enduring until Jesus makes everything right. But, but you say, let me tell you, I, I was on the island of Pamas. So now he's going to get specific. He says, I want you to picture this. I was on the island of Pamas. The island of Patmos is a real place. You know, the island of Patmos, I, I read this, and I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, it is an island, and it's only six miles wide and 10 miles long. And there is this cave on the island of Patmos. It is kind of like a prison without bars. It was it was a, a marble quarry, so so prisoners would have to work hard labor, heavy hard labor. I haven't heard it put. It it was the Alcatraz in the Roman Empire. It was like our Alcatraz. So just so you know that it wasn't just some, some um, you know, nice, comfortable place. No, John is an old man, and he is working heavy labor on this island, a prison without bars. And so he says, I want you to make sure you know my conditions. And they were not good. But I want you to know why I was there. It wasn't because I was a bad man. Everybody else who came on there is because they were a criminal and they deserved the punishment. He says, but I, they felt I deserved the punishment because I stood up for the word of God. I stood up for the testimony of Jesus. That's why I was put on that island. So John made that very clear to us. But then, then he starts, he says, oh, one day on, on the Lord's day, on the Lord's day, what does that mean? Was it Sunday? We don't know. I can say on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I can say this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I don't think it matters what day of the week it is, but John wants us to know that it was the Lord's day. It was, it was a planned day. This was all a part of the hand of God. This was all, this was all supposed to be on the Lord's day. He's in charge. So he's making sure this, didn't, this wasn't just happenstance. On the Lord's day, on purpose, at this specific time, 
He's in charge, and on the Lord's day, he said, I was in the spirit. I was not falling to myself and self-pity and whining and complaining. How come this happens to me, and why do I have to go through this at this date in my life? Why do I have to sit on this island, a criminal, when I'm not, and all I did was stand up for Jesus, and why? Oh, doesn't that sound horrible? complain and whine. Now he says, you know what? It was the Lord's day and I was in the spirit. I chose to believe that God is always up to something and I let his Holy Spirit guide my thoughts, guide my mind, guard my heart so that it didn't fall into my own self. Because if he had, if he was whining and complaining and sonicky and he just was feeling so sorry for himself, do you think for a second he would have been able to see all this, to hear all this? Not a chance. Oh, I just wonder sometimes what I miss when I'm sitting there whining and complaining and sonicky because life isn't going the way I want. I wonder what I miss. John is saying, I want you to know I'm not missing it because I chose that day, the day the Lord made, even whether I liked it or not, that I was where I would really like to be or not. It was the Lord's day. He made it. And I chose to let the Holy Spirit take my attitude, take my my whole being He said, I was in the spirit. And because I was in that right place with God, when I was in the right place with him, I heard. Because why? His ears were ready. His his eyes were ready. His heart was ready. The Holy Spirit had opened it. And because of that, he was able to hear behind me. said, I heard from behind me. Isn't that interesting? I heard from behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now, you're going to watch John try to describe things that are really undescribable. He's going to have to use words and, and things to try to get us to even comprehend a little bit of what it was like. So for him to say, I heard from behind, I heard a voice. It was so penetrating. It was so distinct. It was so undeniable. And when you hear band, there's there's no denying when the trumpets start. The trumpets sound with such a, a majestic, loud undeniable sound. And so John's saying, I just, I have to describe it like this. This voice was so distinct. It was so undeniable. It was, there was just no way I could miss it. And it was so plain. A trumpet's pitch. When you hear a trumpet, the pitch is just so resounding. It's so pure. And he's saying, I heard the voice so clear, so pure. There was no way I could say, well, I think I heard it like this. Or it was a little muffled. 
No, he's saying, oh, I know. I know distinctly what the voice said to me. And that voice said, write on a scroll what you see. Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So he heard clearly, write on a scroll so you can send each church a letter. Verse 12, I turned. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. I turned around. I think that needs to be underlined or circled because, again, when you, when you, have to, when you turn, you have to make a conscientious move. You have to make a choice there to say, am I going to turn around to hear this or am I not? It's kind of like we have to choose, am I going to go to the cross and be repentant or am I, or am I not? Because I can handle this on my own. I'm not going to humble myself. I'm not going to be embarrassed and, and I'm, not, I'm not going to be ashamed and have to take that walk to Calvary. After all, I'm a good person. You know, this is another one of those things where I have to make a conscientious choice. I've got to turn to want to hear because the direction I'm heading is me, myself, and I. If I want to hear, I've got to turn. I've got to turn from my own self and I've got to turn to hear him, to see him. It's like, it's like every day with my Bible, you were all busy people and we could just go and go and go and we could just keep moving, moving, moving. And there's sometimes when you just say, I've got to stop and turn and go to my, go to my Bible. I need to spend time with Jesus. I need to hear what he's got to say for me today. I've got to connect with that Holy Spirit again so that I am, I am listening with his ears and not my own. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, see, by, by, I wonder if he said, no, I'm not going to. Look what he look what he messed. I, again, just think about that. When we when we decide not to turn, not to go to our Bibles. Have you ever gone to your Bible and studied that day and has said, "Well, that was a big waste of time." Not a chance. Not a chance. You probably say just like I do every time. Oh my God, I didn't miss that for today. I believe that he was talking to me just for this moment. And he was. So when John turned, he saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Now, I'm just going to jump to the last verses of chapter 1 because he, he, he says, just in case you're wondering, what, what's this lampstand thing? So he says, I'm going to, verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in the right hand of the seven golden lampstands is this. He says, I want you to know without question that you don't have to sit and debate and wonder. I want you to know that the lampstands are the churches. 
the lampstand is the church. And that just makes per- perfect sense, doesn't it? Because the church as a whole body, or you or me as an individual part of the church, we're lampstands. We're to be the light in this dark world. We are to be the switch that someone can turn on so that we can show them the way so it's not dark and that they don't stumble. We are not the light, but we are the instrument that the light can come through. The lamp is not that, the lampstand is not the actual light. It is just the one that can hold the light and then out of us comes the light. Just think you and I are lampstands in this world. And the seven and the seven stars are the are the angels, are the leaders, are the representatives of that church. So going back, and he says, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like like a son of man. He writes that. I saw him, and I recognized him. He was like Jesus when he lived on this earth, but 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 he was like that, but wasn't. I thought that just made me smile. Because right away, John recognized him. Oh, I know the son of man. I know him. But oh, is he different now? But he's, he's like the son of man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Just quick, just quick so that we see that, that it is material, that he was wearing this robe that represented like priest or king and wearing a sash that, that also demonstrated that he was priest, king, lord. He, he was dressed accordingly. And then he says, oh, then let me describe him. His head was, his head and hair were white like like wool. Again, he's trying to say, I'm using the best words I can to describe. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were blazing. So he was, his head, his hair was like white hair. And, you know, the older we get, the whiter, the grayer, the whiter we get. And, and you know, that represents wisdom. Because we've had experience, and he is his hair was as white as snow. In other words, he was the ancient of days. He was wiser than any. And his eyes, his eyes were like blazing fire. Ooh, they penetrated. There was no denying. Those eyes were going right through you. In other words, there's no fool in him. His eyes penetrate and they go through you and he can see the real you. And they, his eyes like a blazing fire and his feet were, were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Again, his feet were like bronze heavyweight. When he walked, he walked with a purpose. You could almost 
feel it when he walked. He felt the steps as he, as he came. He walked with purpose. And again, he was walking with a purpose. I think both have a have, have a, a symbolic um, meaning to he is walking to judgment. He is going to make everything right, just like he promised. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. <laughs> we know what that is, the force of water. Niagara Falls, whatever, you know the force of water. And when he spoke, his voice was power. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. In his right hand, he held the leader, the representative of each and every church, and whether that's the court, no, corporate, I mean, you can look at it and say, you know, that is important, that person in his right hand, but I'm telling you, when you're looking at Jesus, you keep all other things in perspective. It, it, so often, I think we put people on pedestals, pedestals they don't deserve, and we get our eyes on them instead of Jesus. I think when he's saying here, he says, when John says, I saw that he was like a son of man. He was wearing this robe and this sash and his hair was white as snow and his eyes were blazing and his feet were bronzes. And he's saying, oh, how, how could I even see the star in his right hand? It's all about Jesus. But, but he does hold us in his right hand. Isn't that so beautiful? But it isn't about us. It's about him. Out of his mouth, out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. Do you realize that a sword with no, nowhere to hold on to, so no matter where you grab this sword, it, it's got an edge to it, and it's, it's going to um, get your attention. And this double-edged sword is pretty much God's word that it is going to get your attention, and it's going to be cutting, and it's going to penetrate, and... Out of, his, out of his mouth, his word is a double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Oh, his face. His face was just like the sun. Talk about shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John says, oh, I'm going to tell you right out. When I saw him, I didn't have anything to say. There was nothing I could do but fall at his feet. And when he described himself as I fell at his feet as though dead, that means there were no words. There was nothing I could do say or do that could possibly compare or even relate or I just fell as though dead 
You talk about the word awe there. He was awed to the point where he couldn't say or do anything. And then he placed, isn't this a beautiful picture? He placed on John's shoulder. Then he placed his right hand on me. John says, I felt this hand on me. And, and then I heard his voice saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. Remember whenever we hear Jesus saying, I am, there's no question. There's no doubt. I am your living water. I am your bread of life. I am the gate. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am the first. And I am the last. And then he says, I am the living one. And then to make things clear, he says, oh, oh, yeah, you've got it right. I was dead. And behold, don't you love that word? Behold, in other words, get your attention. Get up. Behold, yes, I was once dead, but I am alive forever and ever. So how long? Is he going to be alive? He's alive now, and he's going to be alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I hold the keys. What does that mean? He holds the keys of death and Hades. In other words, he says, I'm the one that can keep you out of it, and I'm the one that can throw you in. Except you can't ever blame Jesus for 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 sending you to hell. You know, you did that yourself. But he's saying, I'm holding the keys because when you come to me, I hold the keys to open all this up for you. But I also hold the keys to death and hell because if you don't accept me, believe me, there were 65 books ahead of this one that explained that to you. He said to John, write this down. Write, therefore, what you have seen. What is now and what will take place later. This chapter, Revelation 1, it's got to be a favorite. It's got to be the most exciting, the most overall picture of who Jesus is, what he came to do for us, but also who he is in all of his glory. So he tells his family, he tells his children, he tells his kingdom. I want you to know this, because if you cling to this, if you keep knowing your future, you keep looking ahead in the forward direction, then it will so help you with your now, with your today. It will keep fear and worry and panic and and disappointment and hopelessness. It will keep them in their place and you will see Jesus. He said, cling to me and I've given you all the hope that will never disappoint you. This book that we are going to take 
I want you to know it is a book of promise. It is a book of hope. It is not a book of fear and of, of confusion. Are we going to totally understand everything? No. I don't think he expects us to, or he would have told us, like he would have said, that this is the lampstand is the church. The stars in the right hand are the leader. It's It's the head of that particular church. So that could be you and me. And he's saying, I want you to know your place, but I want you to know that, that the things that I want you to absolutely know that I believe that will keep you clinging, that will keep you looking forward, that will keep you excited, I will give you exactly what you need for that. But then there's going to be things that there's no way that you can understand and you're just going to have to see it for yourself And that's part of what faith is. So come on this journey with me. And hear hear Jesus tell John, write this down. I want them to know. I want them to know what, what is coming, what is now and what is coming. I want them to have, I want them to see me. I want myself unveiled so they can see me for who I really am. And when they know me for who I really am, they'll settle in to trusting a God who proved over and over how much he loves us, how he loved and how he loves. Heavenly Father, thank you for this 66th book of the Bible that after studying and knowing Jesus and what he's come to do, we now have this book that will open up our minds and our imaginations and it will, and because every word is true and Jesus said that. He said, John, write this down. I'm making it credible because I'm going to let you see it. Write what you see. Write what you hear. Let them know they have got such a future. And that because they're so confident of their future, that will make them so calm in their today. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.